Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. You're listening to A Little Bit Dusty, all things country, rural and outback Australia. Grab a hot or cold one and enjoy the conversation ahead. Yes, we are back for another series. Thank you very, very much to everyone who's listening all across the country and around the world. It seems like we've gained some international listeners from our last series, so thank you very, very much for showing your interest. Welcome to A Little Bit Dusty. This is the show where we talk all things country, rural, and outback Australia. And I'm your host, Tyson Godden. To give you guys a bit of a background as to why I started this pod, I did a solo road trip in 2018, going from Sydney, where I'm based, down through the south coast, through to Melbourne, Adelaide, then back up and into Western New South Wales, Broken Hill, and then through Dubbo, Orange, and the Blue Mountains along the way. And since then, uh, I was, you know, been itching to go back out into the dust every, you know, every any chance that I get. Um, I do love rural Australia, the you know, the scenery, the people you meet, the food you eat, the culture, the old pubs, the history, which I think is very, very important. It's a lot of things that I think are getting neglected in these areas. So. Uh, that was in 2018. In 2019, I did a six-week road trip with my dad through to Birdsville to go to the Big Red Bash Festival. Um, that was another eye-opener. And what you would have heard from the last series is uh, the conversations I was having with people in Ningen, Walgett, Narrabri, uh, Burke, and all those sorts of places. Uh, they were all were talking about their towns running out of water, drinking water, and, and towns having no access to water, which I just found very puzzling, especially growing up uh, in Metro Sydney. So last series, we tried to provide a bit of a uh, healthy mix of education and entertainment across all these subjects. But as you might have heard from the last series, we took a massive break uh, and we're now back. And in that break, I've been diving into a absolute whirlwind and you know just endless rabbit holes of pretty crazy information. A lot of things that I think are very important and a lot of things that we'll discuss on this series. So... Last series was a bit of a mix of my mates talking about some places they've uh, worked or um, travelled to and some of the festivities there. Uh, a mix of comedians who talked about growing up in regional areas in New South Wales and Queensland. And some other ones that stood out as well. Uh, Michael Cummins, you know, uh, Life as a Bush Cop in Victoria. Uh, Tim Beach doing his Jackaroo program and you know, his more further love for agriculture. And of course, the two-part water chat with Ron Pike. So this series, we're going to be getting a bit more serious, asking the bigger questions, and I'm going to try and tackle three, not so much industries, but three main topics, water, food, and housing. And we touched on water a little bit in the last series, um, but food and housing, I think, is a pretty important issue that we should all get around and be attentive to because, well, because it's just so bloody important. 
Um, I'm not too sure if a lot of people realise, but you know, the country and regional Australia and our farms—that's that's our backbone of this nation. You know, food just doesn't come from the shops, and water just doesn't come from the tap. Uh, so, yeah, the, in the six weeks or seven weeks in the break that's been between the series, I've been finding out a lot of pretty crazy things, and I'm hopefully going to be able to share them with you as well as a guest uh, each week or each segment. So. The first two episodes of this series will be on food, but mainly focusing on pork, Australian pork. Now, why you ask? Why did you not choose any other protein or any other meat or any other made food to focus on? Well, this one's from more of a personal inquiry, and uh, I don't know about you guys, but it's over the last three, four years when I've gone to go to the shops, I've noticed that um, every time I go to buy something like uh, bacon, salami, or you know, pork shoulder, uh, ham, all that sort of thing, most of the time, and it might sound a bit bizarre, it's not Australian meat. We've been importing pork from other countries, and I just think that's just a bit puzzling, especially as everyone knows that you know Australia is a nation that has plenty of food and water for everyone, but we export to a lot of countries and a lot of you know top quality world star restaurants and that sort of thing. Our resources are plentiful, so why are we importing meat from other countries? What I mean by this is every time you go to uh, you know, buy a packaged meat, no matter what it is, on the back of it, the back left corner, you'll see a logo. It's a green triangle with a golden kangaroo. That, just, that means the product is Australian made. And that's all well and good because the product could be finished here or the manufacturing process could be finished here claiming it to be Australian made. But next to it is where you'll have this little ruler. And on that ruler, if it's filled in, it's filled in in a yellow color. If it's filled in full or close to full, then it's 100% or 90 to 100% Australian ingredients. Now that's the kind of stuff you want to be looking for. That's the kind of uh, the kind of product you want to keep uh, you know supporting because you're supporting the Australian businesses, um, you know other small farms or big farms or other butchers that really want to push for that Australian you know locally owned and made uh, certification. But also that sense of sense of acknowledgement, knowing that you're supporting another small business and that it's Australian as well. So what I've noticed, mainly in Coles and Woolies, Aldi not so much because they've stepped up their game and probably thought about this issue as well, is the ruler next to your Australian main sign. Most of the time with things like bacon and other cured meats and that sort of thing, the percentage is either, it says made from either 12 or 21% Australian ingredients. 12 or 21%. I've paid a bit more close attention to it over the years recently, but um, I just think it's something that everyone should know about. So this uh, topic will be covered in two episodes. This uh, part one will be up now, then part two will be out next week. And hopefully this gives you guys a bit more of a uh, an idea as to where our food really comes from and the process involved to send it out to shops. So to help tackle this inquiry, uh, well, first of all, before we get into our guest, I have to give Richard Mitchell from The Meat Emporium a shout out. Uh, the Meat Emporium is a organic butcher and deli in Eleanor Heights. They do amazing quality uh, meat and other goodies as well. If you're in the Northern Beaches in Sydney, go up and support Richard and his business. He's a great bloke. Um, we have friends on social media and in amongst preparing for this next series, I pretty much just sent him a voice message on uh, Facebook Messenger saying, pretty much trying to figure out why we're not seeing as much Australian pork on our supermarket shelves anymore. And if he was just able to throw his two cents in, and he's kindly responded with providing me with this contact and saying, "Go, you know, get in contact with this person. He's got a uh, quite a good perspective on this matter, so hopefully uh, that helps." 
So, uh, which is what I've done. I ended up uh, contacting this gentleman, explained, you know, a bit about the show and kind of the different things I want to talk about, and he's gladly jumped on. So enjoy the very first episode for our second series. So, for this part of the series, we are talking to Scott Graham. He has run a uh, free-range pig farm in Lawrence, which is west of Yamba, and I'm sure he's got a lot of uh, interesting insights into this topic. So he joins us now. Scott, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, Tyson. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Finished uh, my last uh, Sunday catchy for the year, so <laughs> a bit knackered, <laughs> but uh, not too bad. <laughs> oh, that's good. All right, so before we get into uh, all things pork, I suppose, I just want to uh, just go back yes. into a bit of your origin, find a bit more uh, about, about yourself. So just um, for the listeners, mm-hmm. let's hear a bit about where you grew up, uh, the kind of environment. Um, what kind of got you into farming? Was that if it was through work or your early years and... Um, yeah, just a bit about um, yourself before you got right into what you do now. Yeah, uh, well, look, I just turned 53, so there's a bit to, uh, bit to tell, but I'll <laughs> condense it for everyone. But um, look, I originally come from um, just south of Wollongong, uh, a place called Dapdo. I think everyone oh, yeah. would have heard of the Dapdo dogs over yeah, yeah. The many years. Uh, so yeah, that's where I came, uh, came from. Um, no farming background at all in, in our family roots. Well, anyway, any, any that I know of. Um, but, uh, once, you know, I, I left school, I decided that, uh, I'd become a, an engineer, a, a mining engineer. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, I think I, I'm just trying to work out at what point did I decide I wanted to go from being a mining engineer or being in the engineering or mining, um, industry through to farming. But, um, yeah, so I studied uh at Wollongong Uni and as soon as I um uh, graduated I, I I fled uh I wouldn't say fled but I left uh Wollongong and bang on the beach uh, one day and, and the next day I was in in beautiful Emerald which is west of Rockhampton by oh, yep. uh, three hours in Queensland yes yep. yeah so I sort of other than about four years over in Indonesia um, working in Kalimantan I, I've been in central Queensland um, all of my professional career. Um, and about five or six years ago, I just, I had this sort of yearning to, to want to do something a bit different. And, um, and then, yeah, you know, one thing led to another and I got into pork, which I'm sure we'll talk about um, shortly. But um, I guess the, what is Mirabooka Pork, which is our business uh, and our farm called Mirabooka Park, um, we have uh, two other families and uh, my wife's family and, and David, uh, which is the Munns part of uh, the trio. Um, and everyone sort of got a bit of a different background, but, um, but the, the Ross and, and the Munns clans uh, comes from central Queensland. So I'm the okay. New South Welshman and I, I conned them into to, you know, uh, getting into farming for one and, and secondly, moving uh, to, to God's country, which is New South Wales. <laughs> uh, very nice. Yeah, I was wondering about that because I had a bit of a squeeze on your website and was wondering how the families were yep. um, tied in. So, Yeah. 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 So David, uh, he's an Indigenous fellow. He's been with um, my wife, Jackie's uh, family since uh, since he was a teenager. Um, and Jackie's dad is um, now passed away. He was a horse trainer. And uh, and David was his indentured um uh, apprentice jockey um, and then just stayed with the family forever so from uh, from my perspective and Jackie's perspective you know he's our brother um, 
you know, just uh, it's just one of our one of our family, and uh, and our kids treat him like an uncle, and you know, it's it's great. So it's yeah, the Graham and the Munns and the uh, and the Ross family. That's how that that's the story there. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah very nice. So you guys started in uh, 2016. Uh, so by the sounds of it, it was your idea to nudge them on to all go into um, getting into this this thing together. Um, what yep. what made you chose pork specifically, or was it just a bit of a any mini money mo into whatever industry you're going to dive into? Uh, look, no, no. There's a, there's a little bit of thought that went into it. Um, I guess the the day that I sort of woke up and said I want to become a pig farmer, I probably should have slept in, perhaps, <laughs> um, and get, given it a little bit more thought. But um, we sort of looked at um, yeah wanting to grow an animal um, that was sort of one of the criteria and and I guess we looked into pork and what was you know sort of a free range pork and and the market there and, and how much of that we could see from our place in Brisbane at the time um, decided that you know we we could have you know a reasonable patch of land which is what our farm is 400 acres um, we could um, we could grow some uh, a reasonable herd with a you know a reasonable number of sows and uh and, and you know we could we could carve ourselves a bit of a niche um we definitely wanted it to be free range it was only ever going to be free range and now we're certified um well certified three years ago but the um yeah we just sort of saw that there was a market for it and if we could um, work our way through the learning curve um yeah we, we'd be able to have something that we'd like and and we also like pork which doesn't hurt <laughs> <laughs> very nice yeah i was um yeah I was, I was curious as to what got you into focusing in that to that free range market but um i suppose if you saw the potential in that uh, particular market compared to just standard pork then um then you wonder you guys have uh, won a couple of awards what are the some of the awards and the achievements and networkings that you guys have had since running Mirabuka? Because it sounds like you guys have done a lot, and especially for up the um, northern New South Wales community as well. Uh, look, I think um, the un, unwritten award is perseverance. I think that's any small farmer, um, you know, the, uh, you, you know, you get these um, awards, which we've got, which was primary producer award a couple of times, uh, two years in a row, and we had the... Um, environmental award um, and at that stage uh, in our in our local um, council area which is uh, Clarence Valley um, you know we put our hands up for it and you know we were fortunate enough to win it and coming with you know with free range pork you know comes to uh, um, there comes a whole lot of obligations um, you know that allows us to be sustainable you know on an ongoing basis and uh, we have to uh, rotate our paddocks around um we have to leave a, a certain percentage of grass cover um okay. over our paddocks which is which is a difficult thing to do for for the grower pigs um i, I won't lie it's it's a difficult thing um you know they uh, a very inquisitive animal animal they like to uh they like to dig up and they like to you know use their snouts mm. um and then you know their their feet uh you know they'll, they'll pack that ground in um pretty tight as well so um, they, they, and I'm not saying that we've perfected in, in any way, you know, and that's our next, I guess, iteration of Mirabuka um, is to is to increase the number of paddocks so we can let our paddocks, um, certainly for the grower pigs, you know, for those sort of pigs from 30 kilos through to finishing weight, 
uh, rest those paddocks and give the chance um, for us to sort of um, regenerate that soil and, and that ground and, and grow some grasses back again um, for them. So, yeah, right. um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, yeah, those, as I said, those awards that come along are very nice. Um, and I think, you know, I, I got a, 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 a um, uh, an Instagram message uh, this morning to say that someone bought their pork from us at the Belgian markets yesterday and absolutely loved it. And, and those sort of small little awards, uh, you know, they sort of keep you going. Um, yeah, very nice. When, when the times get tough. And 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 when I said, you know, I should have slept in the day that I decided to become a pig farmer, we basically started when, you know, when the drought was um, sort of peaking and, and getting... Uh, okay. Uh, and so it was, it's been a very, very tough journey for, for the first four of our um, five years um, through the cost of our feed, which is about 70% of all on-farm costs um, for, a, for a type of, yeah, 70% for, for the type of uh, operation that we run, which is. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Free range. Um, You can just never be as productive as as an indoor piggery. And... um, and even even for the so the big pork producers, it's it's about sixty percent of their their total cost um, is in is in is in feed. So um, even small fluctuations, um, yeah, has a uh, has an impact on the bottom line. So if it wasn't for my um, mining um, industry, uh, or you know, being in the mining industry, my profession, um, there's probably no chance that we we'd still be running today. But um, you know, we've we've persisted and uh and then i think now we're sort of certainly through i guess the worst of the drought um new south wales just had a a record crop um in 2020 um it hasn't seen a dramatic um reduction in the feed uh, feed costs because um yeah there's other countries that have uh, 
uh, going through drought as well, which means that we're probably exporting and we haven't, you know, the farmers haven't, you know, get certainly getting a, a decent payday for their crop. Um, but it's come back enough to give us a bit of breathing room. That's good. Um, uh, and then, you know, uh, there was the drought, the, the fires, and then, then at the start of this year, we yeah. said that we had floods that were pretty pretty hectic for us. And then COVID in the midst of it. Yeah, it's always one extreme to the And then other. COVID, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. you you really got to be fairly resilient if you want to be a farmer. I mean, yeah, I mean, and optimistic as well. If you want to be a small, yeah, a small business owner, anyone has got to, you know, you've got to be able to sort of roll with it um, and be, you know, have a fair, fair amount of... Um, guts to, to sort of keep persisting with it um, yeah. and, and definitely be optimistic yeah, yeah. Like- but i guess if you believe if you believe in it you know if you believe in your product it just goes such a long way to um you know to to seeing you through those tough times mm. yeah absolutely especially if um if there's any other challenge that you want to kind of reach yeah it's not going to be a smooth road there's going to be hurdles and all sorts of things but once you see the reward at the top then um yeah it's all the more worth it i suppose um, Absolutely. I was reading on your website as well that your pork's hormone and anti- antibiotic free. What's the um, kind of difference between a pork that is and isn't? Is it like the different, uh, the size or the texture or the taste? Or oh, look, I think um, I mean it's just it's a part of what we do, uh, and and we are um, not just free range by you know name. We we are certified, like I said, um, for now this is our our third year of um, being certified. Um, but there's, you know, there's a whole lot of criteria that you have to meet to be able to, uh, to, you know, be able to call yourself certified. And we are our, we are certified through APIC, um, which is the um, quality assurance um, arm of uh, Australian Pork Limited. And uh, we got that certification, which means that we get audited every year. And we had the initial audit and we have ongoing annual audits to make sure that what we're feeding them uh, and what we do to the pigs um, is as limited as possible. So, okay. um, you know, our pigs invariably will take a lot longer to grow out. Um, you know, it, it would take somewhere between five and six months to get to that sort of 85 or 90 kilo uh, um, live weight um, that we uh, slaughter our pigs at. Um, you know, we uh, vaccinate our, our, our pigs, um, which we have to because there's, there's several diseases. Yeah. Um, and, and our, obviously our pigs are out in the open. They're not protected by shelters or anything like oh, that. They're okay. literally yeah, yeah. all out in the open. Um, so we have to vaccinate certainly all our breeding stock um, and, and, and also our, our small pigs uh, from time to time. Um, and yeah, they're just, just a bit more open to, to the diseases that are out in the paddock or potentially out in the paddock. Um, but invariably, uh, we have got breeds that are not the, you know, the type of breeds that are used for indoor piggeries. Um, so we'll all have a bit of colour in them. Uh, either be Duroc, which is a, a red um, head pig um, with US or American origins, through to European um, red pigs uh, like Berkshires and Large Blacks. Um, all right. And um, Hampshires and and that, those sort of, you know, uh, more coloured breeds that are a bit more, um, you know, bred for the outdoor environment, uh, a bit more handy, you know, hardier in the in the outdoor environment. In, in your pig farm, uh, what I wanted to try and find out more about was the actual kind of pig's life cycle. You've got weaners and growers and sows. I'm just trying to, what, what's the difference between them and what's the kind of roles within within the farm? Okay, so... We'll start with our breeding stock. We obviously, we do all natural matings. There's no artificial insemination here. Um, all we have, we've got four boars. Um, 
and um, mostly they have you know, they're a large white um, or, or have large white as part of a large part of, of their makeup genetic makeup um, we did have a, a Duroc boar but uh, you know, he, he met his demise just recently unfortunately but um, uh, and, and we've got a variety of sows so before a um, before a female um, gives you know, has a first farrow um, has a first litter of pigs uh, they're called gilts g-i-l-t-s uh, and so that's a you know a female pig that's um, hasn't had a first litter but may be pregnant um, or in pig as we say and um, and then once they've had that first litter they become a sow um, a sow uh, when she farrows um, which is giving birth uh, in pig language um, she'll have uh, piglets obviously um, she'll have a litter um, when they're weaned um, they'll become weaners and um, and then they sort of just go through that that various growth um, stage. So, um, and different farmers will will call different pigs at different weights, uh, different things. But they'll oh. sort of go from a weaner pig to a to a grower pig, and then you grow a pig out. Um, and then there's different size um, pigs that get slaughtered. Um, sort of will sort of be the sort of the typical meat type pigs, um, and and of various weights. And then they go through from being that to a uh, to a to a baconer. Um, size pig, which is a little bit, a little bit larger, and that's you know, um, for as the name suggests, sort of um, a lot of their meat should be used for for processed pork. Right. Okay. That's a bit more. Like now I'm can yeah connect the dots more. I suppose for now seeing that what the different terms are. Um, so when you uh, and the other two families started the farm, was it was there anything kind of pre-set up or did you just get the whole thing going from the ground up? What was the whole process? Did you guys do a bit of construction there or a bit of maintenance or? Oh uh, well, yeah, we went and did, firstly we went and uh, learnt the process. Um, so so we did a, a, a pig uh, handling course um, down in, you know, when we were living in Queensland at the time down in New South Wales in the Hunter Valley and uh, and we sort of got to you know, to learn a bit more about, you know, the practical um, elements of, of managing pigs. Um, and David and I, we did our Certificate 3 in, in pig handling course, um, which we needed to be able to, to start the farm up. So, yeah, we then uh, looked around to what properties and where we wanted to, to you know, have the farm. And like I said, I really ideally wanted it in New South Wales. It's not as hot uh, on average across the year. Um, pigs do get um, affected by the heat um, and it can be affected by the heat and, and certainly the breeding stock um, can have their fertility impacted uh, by heat wow and uh, so yeah so we looked around uh, we knew the abattoir was at a place called Buyong which is between Lismore and Bangalore up in the hills there and uh, we sort of basically just drew a radius around uh, from Buyong as the center and, and had a look yeah so we we're at, you know no more than a couple of hours of drive away um, or maybe a two or three hour drive away. So we had a look at our first property at Tenerfield, and then we went to a couple of places down near Kyogle um, and then settled on on this farm here at, at Lawrence. Um, and there was a couple of reasons why we chose it. It, it sort of fit, fit the criteria. It's only an hour and a half to to, uh, to be on uh, abattoir from here. Um, but the, the beauty of it was it was already an existing free range pig farm. Um, okay. In New South Wales, the, uh, the laws, um, the, the difference where the criteria that goes from being um, small scale um, free range to to something um, what's called you know intensive farming is 20 sows 
we knew that we wanted to do a bit more than 20 hours and and the previous occupants had had less than 20 hours so but they had paddocks all ready to go and and the paddocks for pigs um yeah the the, the key aspect to to fencing pigs is using hinge joint fencing um so that the they can't they can't get escape um and uh yeah they're pretty pretty tough and pretty hard on on, on fencing yeah, and right. the ground around it um but yeah we was able enough you know it was there was enough paddocks here that we could have got we got started straight away so we um within the first week of of um moving into the place we had uh an opportunity to um to get some pigs uh and that included sows sows that were in pig that were pregnant uh, had you know they had some pigs on foot and they also had some grower pigs um in the herd because this this particular farmer who was up at dorigo um her and her brother were getting out um and uh and we were able to secure some of some of those pigs very nice so that got us going straight away we had um we had one of the boars that was here from the previous farmer floppy um he was uh, he was our inaugural boar and um yeah he, he he did a great job he's now retired and he's got a nice paddock off to the side um but uh yeah so that sort of got us going and we're, we're basically killing pigs within the first um probably th in month three of, of occupying the farm Far out. and generating some generating some income um it's not a bad little head start basically at all. that it was it was a good head start uh like i said but it was that yeah, at the same time as we were starting to slaughter pigs, um, the feed price was starting to skyrocket. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because of the drought, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it was that's something I've been thinking about as well. The um, it's the main the main feed for pigs is usually uh, you know grain and different wheats and that sort of thing as well, right? And um, yep. Yeah, since the what about the 2018-19, I started seeing like almost endless articles, even researching back from a couple months ago of um. Yeah, the increased increased price of grain and farmers yeah selling up the piggeries because I mean obviously, you know if you can't feed them you can't fatten them up you can't get them to that right size and um, that would have been what you kind of what first or second year kind of in the in the farm how did that impact you guys and how were you able to kind of push through? Did, did your kind of stock kind of fluctuate within not being able to feed them during the drought? Um, that's probably where our inexperience um, really sort of cost us initially. Uh, we decided that we would um, try and produce our way um, out of trouble by ah. um, increasing our, our uh, herd size to, um, you know, to, to establish ourselves in the market to uh, ho hopefully, um, you know, improve our efficiencies and and get established. And at some point, you know, a drought always breaks. So, um, so we sort of started with about. Uh, now, let's say it was about 10 sows and then that went up to 20 and then 25 and then i think we got to about 55 sows all through that sort of drought and yeah it was a it was an error uh, on my behalf and um and i guess you live and you learn as, as you you sort of work your way through it because if effectively you know pig is going to convert all that feed into muscle um and you know you can't sort of force it to eat more you can't they can't you can't force them to grow quicker it's just that's you, you just work they just work their way through that um that feed and until they get to the to the right way to slaughter so especially um, in that free range practice as well you want to keep everything still by the book even in that time a hundred percent yeah yeah so that's just that learning phase uh that we went through um 
but I guess it's you know also some mistakes that sort of along the way or lessons that we learnt along the way of around you know where we could buy our next lot of um, or get uh, breeding stocks you know and, and by that I mean the sows. Um, so I bought some sows from indoor piggeries in the past that 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 wasn't a really good idea. Um, you know they they just not bred for the outdoor environment. They right. really couldn't, not the right couldn't handle it. Okay, not the right feed, not the right breed. Um, they'd, they'd sort of spent too much time on concrete um, to then handle, you know, uneven ground. Ah, and that's interesting. Being in wallows and being in sun and, uh, you know, as, as, um, as much as we sort of thought that was a good idea, it just, um, yeah, it was more, more misses than hits with, with that, that idea. Um, so, yeah, we've really, um, you know, the having those pigs with, uh, like the Berkshires, uh, large blacks, having... Um, and any of those heritage breeds that sort of have come and spent most of their lives outdoors, that's where we've had our biggest success. Um, we've all, yeah, we've, like all small farmers, uh, they do when they start, they sort of give all their breeding stock uh, a name and um, which, you know, it's both a good idea and a bad idea when it comes time <laughs> to uh, to move those sows on. Yeah. So we've we're probably, uh, you know, we've let some sows... Um, stay with us uh, way too long and we probably should move them on a bit quicker. So, we're, you know, the, the thing is that you, you just have to um, you learn that mistake or have that, you know, make that mistake, learn from it and move on. And that's, mm. you know, that's not just farming, that's small business, that's life in general. What a great way to start the new series. There's plenty more action with a little bit dusty, not just on these podcasts, but we're also on Instagram. So you can find us at a underscore little bit dusty. Send some photos through, some videos through, some places you've either worked, lived, or traveled in. Or if you reckon you've got a pretty good yarn that everyone has to know about, then uh, send us a message. And who knows, you could be on this series or the next one. Because the more stories that we hear from people that have worked, lived, and traveled, and done some amazing things out in, you know, out back in country towns, then the more that we can learn from as well. And hopefully with chats like this, everyone can get a bit more educated on how they can support uh, small local businesses uh, through produce and art and community and that sort of thing. There's always someone to help out and there's always time to learn something new each and every day. So thanks very much for listening. Join us next week as we finish off this pork chat with Scott Graham. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, folks. I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.